You're listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. So, you're getting a double dose of me today. That's all right. I think it's important, though, before we continue with anything here this morning, I need to go ahead and address something that if you are an Alabama fan, I just want to go ahead and point out that it's going to be okay. From somebody, from somebody who has been a UT fan for all my life, I've seen a lot of loss. You will get through it. It's your time now. I was telling uh, Stephen and Austin and <laughs> Mariah and them last night when we were watching the game that if you don't believe in the power of prayer, I prayed about 15 times in just the fourth quarter alone. So... Um, but yeah, so, of course, you think I wouldn't wear my UT polo today, well then you are out of your mind. But, um, well, it's good to have you this morning. Uh, for those of you that haven't been with us, we've been going through the book of Galatians. So this is a new study that we just started. This is our third week in it. And so for those of you that don't know the book of Galatians, it's written by the Apostle Paul. And we're going to be talking about Paul a little bit today. But it is a wonderful book, and a book that is short. It's only about five chapters, but... It is packed to the brim with theological knowledge, practical application, but also just unrelenting grace from God. And so we're going to be diving into that book again this morning. Um, Now, to kind of catch you up to speed, if you're new this morning, we're happy to have you. If you haven't been with us in the past couple weeks, welcome back. Um, But we, as we've been going through the book of Galatians, we've gotten about halfway through the first chapter. Um, in Josh fashion, which we love Josh. Uh, But it is literally going to be that way for the rest of this, because like I said, this book is just so packed with just so much to learn about who we are in God's kingdom, but also who our God is. But something that we see, and we need to paint the picture, and we want to try and paint this picture each week, is that there is an overarching theme that is seen through the whole book of Galatians, and that is that we are free in Christ this morning. Now, we have full freedom in Christ, and we're going to dive into why we have that freedom a little bit this morning and how Paul kind of argues for that freedom, but in that, we know that from the first half of this first chapter, Paul immediately comes in with frustration. He comes in with almost kind of just hitting the ground running, firing all cylinders. He is deeply hurt. And the reason for this is because Paul has gone out on this missionary journey to the Galatian region, and he has planted these churches, and he has taught the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people, and and they have become believers. They have been saved through faith with Jesus. And then he's gone back to Antioch, to Jerusalem. He's, He's gone and continued on his journey, and he finds out that these false teachers have infiltrated the churches and have taught a false gospel. And we know this because immediately, Paul says, I am marveled that you are turning away from this gospel so quickly. He says, it is, it is insane to hear that the gospel that I gave you, this gospel that is so precious, you've turned away from it. And not only have they turned away from it, but they've also turned against Paul. Because these false teachers, or Judaizers as they call it, were not necessarily bad men or women that came into the church. But what they were teaching was that you need Christ. Yes, Christ is great, but you also need something else in order to be saved. And that's false doctrine. And then they also say this Paul guy that gave you this gospel to begin with, he's not really to be trusted. You trust us. You trust our message. And so these Galatians, they're being fought for. And Paul is brokenhearted to hear that not only did his, his name slandered, but more importantly, the name of God has been slandered. And you see this frustration and this hurt immediately come out in the book of Galatians. But now we see Paul, and this is where we're going to be this morning, is he's taking a stance, a defense for the gospel, and saying, I'm going to prove to you that the gospel that I gave you is the true gospel, and that I, Paul, am carrying that gospel, not for my glory, but for God's glory. He's doing this because he loves the Galatians, and he wants them to come to know truth and true freedom in Christ, not bondage. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1, 
and we're going to be working our way into chapter 2. So we're going to be verses 111 through 210. And as we know, like I said, he's writing from a place of hurt and frustration. And then in this next section of Scripture, we are going to dive deeper into Paul's defense, like I said. But also, hopefully, we will have encouragement and, I hope, conviction, as I got, on how we are to operate in this relationship of grace and freedom that God has given us. So one last time, I'm going to have you stand up for me. We're going to read through this. We've got a good chunk of Scripture to work through. Um, but it's going to be good. So starting in verse 11 in chapter 1. And I'm reading in, in NKJV. Some of you have ESV, whatever works for you, but this is where we're going to be at this morning. It says in verse 11, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries. In my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and I returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning these things, I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by the face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they, and they glorified God in me. In chapter 2, it says, Then after 14 years, I went up, back, uh, went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain, yet not even Titus who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they may bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me, God shows personal favoritism to no man for those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised, who also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was eager to do. You can have a seat. Now, I don't know about you, it's a little wordy, it's a little dense. It's funny because I was talking to my wife Carrie last night, and Carrie was like, Paul is not super grammatically correct all the time, which is funny because actually a lot of commentaries and a lot of scholars say this is the most incorrect grammar of Paul's in all of his, all of his letters, and they think it's because he was so fired up and so just writing this down so quickly, he's like, I don't even care. I just want them to know that there's a true gospel. I thought that was funny, because you read this, and you're like, man, Paul, you are getting wordy this morning. Um, but this is a long st stretch of scripture, and we could have broken this up many times over, but we felt that this passage, 111 through 210, was appropriate to be put together because it is Paul's whole argument. You see that in the end of chapter 1, he has this argument, but then he kind of continues it into 2, talking about when he went up to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles. But we're going to break down what we can see out of this. And the good thing about Galatians is you can take this a hundred different ways, good ways, on what we can learn from it. But we're going to take one way this morning, and I hope that it's, it's a blessing to you as much as it was a blessing to me. And we're going to have three overarching viewpoints. And under these viewpoints, we're going to have a couple kind of subpoints to go with it. Try to organize it and break it up for you. But this first point is we see gospel received. We see gospel received, and we see this in 111 going forward. 
And then we see a couple things that go with this. And number one is gospel received, it's by God alone. Paul immediately says, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man. I didn't get it from man. He says, for I neither received it nor was I taught it by man, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, if you have any argument this morning, if you don't understand the foundation of it and the foundation of our entire faith is that this is God-breathed and God-given. He says, this gospel is not something I made up, and this gospel isn't something that's just been crafted up by man. This is a divine revelation from the Lord Most High. He says, this isn't about you. This isn't about me. This is about God. That's important this morning, because as Christians, if we don't have that foundation, that it's God, God-given, God-breathed, and all about Him, then everything falls apart. And Paul's argument even falls apart. And that's his stance even from the beginning of this letter. It's not even just the point we're making in the sermon, but you see it immediately in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, the Father who raised him from the dead. And you see it again and again and again through so many different letters that Paul's written in the New Testament to these churches to try and to correct them and to teach them proper doctrine. He says it in Romans 1, verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Not of me, not the gospel of John, not the gospel of Peter, not the gospel of Paul, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, God in flesh. And Paul's argument has no basis past this point, because if this is about man, then his apostleship has no authority. Paul has authority because that authority has been given to him by God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, if this is not of God, then might as well throw it away. And we need to understand that you see two stances here. You see man's gospel and you see God's gospel. Simple. There's two. What it makes a difference. How do we discern from man's gospel versus God's gospel? And it's simple. Man's gospel is simply man trying to get to God. Through works, through ritual, through sacrifice, whatever it is, it is men and women trying to white-knuckle, put the work in, and trying to earn favor before God. And unfortunately, you can't do it. But God's gospel has something different. It says it's God coming to man. We're passive in that scenario. We have nothing we can bring, but God's grace is unrelenting in a God's gospel. And that's what we have with Jesus Christ. And it's the only gospel there is. You're going to hear a lot of gospels when you leave this room. You're going to hear a lot of different ones. Five steps to self-help. Every opinion coming, and every opinion in today's society has been labeled as truth. Is it not? I have every opinion in the world, and that's my truth, and, but that's your truth as well. Unfortunately, it, sound, it sounds nice, and it sounds great, but I, unfortunately, it's not truth. And I say that not because I want to beat you down and not because I want to poke fun. I say it because I love you enough to tell you that when you think that it's truth, you're going to go down that rabbit hole, and then you're going to get to the end, and you're going to be empty. And you're going to find death and nothing there. No life is found there. But life is found in God's gospel, truth. And that is God in flesh came to man, died on a cross, rose again, and there's nothing we did to deserve it. But everything in it, we have salvation and rest in Christ. That's the freedom that we have this morning. And this is the freedom that Paul is trying to combat against. Because many people are coming at the church in this time and this time that are trying to tell us different. And that is not scripture and that's not true. In man's gospel, you see legalism and you see endless work that leads to nothing. But in, man's, in God's gospel, you see grace and you see rest. Everyone is serving something. 
what it comes down to is who do you serve? And that's a question we need to ask ourselves. If you're a Christian this morning, who are you serving? Are you serving the true gospel, Jesus Christ? Are you serving some counterfeit Jesus Christ or gospel? And if you're not a Christian this morning, then who are you serving? Because if you're not a Christian, you're not serving God. And that means you're not saved. So that's a big question we need to ask ourselves as we dive through this. And, and Paul uses this terminology. He says, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, it was given to me. This revelation is apocalypsis in, in, in the native tongue. It says, meaning divine revelation. It was given to me not of man's words, but from another source who is God. We must understand that for us Christians, the truth is everything. And if our gospel is not from God, then this gospel doesn't save. And it's a waste of time. We need to close up the doors. We need to go home. But that's not the case, is it? We have a gospel given to us by Jesus Christ, and that is our hope, and that's why we're here. If there is a grave and the body is still in that grave, then it's for nothing. But there is a grave, and it's an empty grave. Because Jesus rose again. And by this we're set free. No man can earn his favor in heaven, and no man's gospel can save on earth. It's only by God. And we need to ask ourselves this morning, what gospel do we serve? And that's what Paul is asking them in a way here to the Galatians. That's our first sub-point. He says, gospel received by God alone. The next point is my favorite. By grace alone do we receive this gospel. And I love the way Paul argues this point. He says, I only received this revelation by Jesus Christ, but then he goes into his testimony. And if you don't know who Paul is, then you need to learn because his testimony is a doozy. It quite is. He, he is probably the biggest enemy to the Christian church before his conversion. This man murdered Christians. This man arrested Christians. His sole purpose before his conversion was to snuff out the Christian church. And the sad part is he was doing it through religion, through Judaism. You see it, he says, for you, for you have heard of my former conduct. People knew Saul before he became Paul. He says, my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church... And this is the church of God, and he persecuted beyond measure. He tried to destroy it. And he says, I was good at it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries. I was zealous. I was passionate about it. I was excited to put Christians in bondage. But something happened. And that's what's crazy. You see these people who are talking to Paul, and he says, you, you see it later. He says, is this not the man that persecuted the church, but now he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ? What happened? What happened to this man? Paul's salvation was only through grace. Because if you think it's works this morning, Paul's an example that it's not. Because Paul's the, the number one person that doesn't deserve the gospel in this moment. Because he's literally killing Christians. Yet God came to him through Jesus Christ, through grace alone, and saved Paul. Just as if you're in Christ this morning, he saved you. So let's get a little history on Paul here. So you see in Acts 9, that's where we really see Saul, Saul, then Paul. You see Saul of Tarsus. That was his name, that was, that was his title. He's from Tarsus, which is actually a... a Greco-Roman city. It's actually a pretty big hub, but it was Jewish culture under Roman rule, which was a unique dichotomy because you saw Paul lived in a life that was Jewish religion, but he had Gentile community, which was unique because he was like the perfect blend, which is interesting because God then sent him to the Gentiles. Isn't that cool? That's sovereign right there. You see, Saul of Tarsus, he was a strong and prominent force in Jewish leaders. He explains he was surpassing all his peers. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the golden child. He was the star pupil. He knew Scripture. 
He knew the law. And he lived it. But in the pursuit of the law, he ended up breaking the law. This is usually how it goes. In Acts 9, we see that while on the road to Damascus, and keep in mind that on the road to Damascus, he had papers in hand to arrest Christians, and he had chains to do it with. And then immediately, Jesus appeared to him, and I love what he says. He says, why do you persecute me? He says, why do you do it? And you see Paul come face to face with the risen Christ, and he's never the same again. Following his conversion, he was led into Damascus, which has got to be a humbling thing. Because now you're led into Damascus, seeing the risen Christ, the place you went to kill Christians. And there when he was led, he was baptized, and then he began preaching Christ in the synagogue. Isn't that amazing? That Saul, now Paul, who shows up into Damascus, and you've got to meet, there's probably people waiting for him to be like, oh, here he is, are you ready to go? And he's like, actually... Change of plans. The whole thing's real. The whole thing's true. But he starts preaching in the synagogue, and he is, he is threatened to be killed, and, and he flees. And he says, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might have preached him among the Gentiles. I want you to keep in mind the terminology that Paul uses through this entire passage. It's not of, I got to do it, it was my, no, he says, because God's grace, he let me do it. There's submission immediately from Paul. Paul's conversion and his recalling of his past life is the ultimate proof that it's God-given and it's grace alone. Man's gospel doesn't change a man like that. But also, you don't get changed by that by your works. Because we all know Paul didn't earn that just as much as we didn't earn it. But the grace that he was given, the salvation. That's what saves the sinner then, and it's what saves the sinner now. And so this morning, if you don't know Christ, you have every opportunity to know him. It's by grace. Quit trying. Quit working. And Paul's conversion silenced the argument also that God can't save me. Have you ever heard that? That I'm too far gone. That God can't save me. I'm too dirty. I've made too many mistakes in my life. Quit it. Paul made quite a few mistakes, and yet he is one of the greatest missionaries our faith has ever known. Get over yourself. You are not that powerful to ruin God's grace. And we need to understand that shame and regret has no place in the Christian life. You've been forgiven this morning. And in that forgiveness, in that salvation, in that grace, that's what fuels us to serve God. I don't serve God because I know I'm going to earn favor with God. No, that's a waste of time. That's legalism. That's what we're talking about here. I serve God because I don't deserve it. I'm forgive people because I was forgiven much. I want to tell people about this grace and this gospel that I was given because I don't deserve it, but it's, it's freeing, and it's truth, and it's life-changing. And I don't want people to go to hell. I don't do it because I want some favor. I've gotten all the favor I need. I don't need your favor. I'm a co-heir with Christ. I have a, an inheritance waiting for me in heaven. But also, I don't have to go to hell. And that's what Paul's saying is grace alone. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, again, Paul, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to even be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And then Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, again, Paul, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. He says, you didn't do anything to get it. You have been saved by God through grace because he loves you. That's it. 
What shame and baggage do you allow to persist in your relationship with Christ? Because they have no place in a life bought by grace. Let's move on. We see a small section going into 18, and we see that now that the gospel has been received, now we see the gospel is shared. So Paul's now gotten the gospel, and he's saying that it's by God and God alone, and it's by grace alone, and now he's sharing it. First thing we need to understand, that if you have the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you have a great commission, and that commission is to not keep it to yourself. Not to give it to only a couple people. Give it to everyone you see. And you see it, he says, kind of a little bit in verse 17, but you really see it in 18. He says, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia. And then he returned back to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, but then you see, afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, which were primarily Gentile nations. It's actually, Cilicia is, is Paul's home province. It's where Tarsus is. And he says, I was unknown by the face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, because they didn't know Paul, because Paul wasn't going into churches, because he was persecuting those churches. But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. So you see two points under this one. So with gospel received, we had by God alone, and it's by grace alone. Now we have gospel shared with urgency, and we see it for God's glory. Paul shared this with urgency, and ultimately for God's glory. In that urgency, we see that Paul did not stay in Jerusalem long with Peter. He says, I was there for about a week. Two weeks. And then I got up and I, I, I got on to Syria and Cilicia. Because there was work to be done and I had a gospel that I needed to share. And you don't even see him go to Jerusalem immediately, right? You see him saying, I went to Arabia. Then I came back to Damascus. Then I decided I might need to meet Peter. Because Peter's like a big, big apostle. Or Cephas. You'll see Cephas in this passage too. He uses interchangeably because Cephas means rock. And that's the rock that Christ built his church. He was Peter. But he says this. He says, I need to go meet Peter. He's my brother in Christ. But you saw that he did it strategically. He went and he met with Peter and said, Peter, I want you to know who I am. I want to meet you. I want you to tell you what's been happened to me. Because he knew well that Peter knew who Saul was. The man that's killing Christians. The man that's killing his brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, that's no longer me. But he didn't stay with Peter long. He didn't hang out in Jerusalem and said, this is where I'm going to hang out with all my people. No, he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to share this gospel because there's a gospel that needs to be given to people. But he also shared it for God's glory. And you see the stance with Paul, the humble stance. He uses verbiage and writing that directs the focus to God again and again and again. He states that his conversion was so that he may deliver the gospel to the Gentiles. None of this was for Paul's own benefit. Paul wasn't getting praise. Paul wasn't getting money. Paul was constantly being threatened to be killed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And can you imagine how hard it was, how humbling it was for the man who killed Christians to then go and try to save Christians? to go into cities that he probably tormented. Because they knew who he was. They say it even here, even the Gentiles say, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith. This wasn't easy for Paul. This wasn't a cakewalk for Paul. Paul didn't do this because it made him feel warm and fuzzy inside. He did it because it had to be done, and it was called through him, through Jesus Christ. The gospel does not have to be comfortable all the time. But it needs to be shared. And Paul knew that. And it's for God's kingdom. His purpose came with a commission, and so does ours. We see in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him 
who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. And Paul, in his argument, he's constantly telling these, these, the Galatians and us, he said, I, I didn't immediately go to the apostles. I didn't have to go be equipped. I didn't go to the apostles and then be like, okay, how do I do it? What do I do? Peter, train me so then I can share the gospel. No, he just went and shared the gospel. That should be a lesson to us. Now, we do apologetics night. We just started it here Wednesday night, and that's a good thing. We want people to understand how do we defend our faith? How do we, why do we defend our faith? How do we use the Bible in, in a loving way to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? But you are equipped fully this morning. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the Word of God with you. You have the armor of God that you can put on. We know that. But the armor of God isn't something that you're given. It's something you have already. And Paul teaches us this. He says, I didn't go immediately to, to confer with the apostles. He says, I just went and I shared the, the gospel. And he's using that as an argument because he's saying, I didn't go and confer and say, okay, this, no, I was given this gospel by divine revelation and it matches up with the gospel of Jesus Christ with these apostles. It's the true gospel. It's not some counterfeit. And I went and I shared it. He acts independently. He does not need anyone to confirm this call to share the gospel because he does it out of love and desire to honor God through the Holy Spirit. So we see two big things here. We see gospel received. We see a gospel shared. And we're coming to our final point, and we're going we're gonna to spend some time here, and this is a gospel defended. The gospel defended, and you see that in, in chapter 2. And you see two ways, and there's multiple ways you can pull, but two ways we see this morning. You see a gospel defended in unity. You also see a gospel defended fiercely. Defended in unity, but it's defended fiercely. And we'll walk through that this morning. But you see Paul. He says that after 14 years, this man was gone for 14 years spreading the gospel. It's a long time. He's like, I didn't go spread the gospel for a couple weeks. And I was like, mm, I did it. Mission trip done. Let's head back to Jerusalem. No, he's gone for 14 years. And then he comes back to Jerusalem because he's seeing an issue. And there's an issue of legalism infiltrating the church. That's why he's writing this epistle. Legalism is something that we still fight today. Something that's easy to do because it's the most natural thing. You think you got to work, right? Because work makes you feel like you're doing something. But remember, our place in the gospel is not active. It's passive. It's God's gospel. God came to us, not the other way around. And you see Paul, he says, we must defend this because gospel plus something else is not saving gospel. Jesus plus something undermines Christ's sacrifice, but ultimately does not give you freedom. It makes you imprisoned again. At this time, it was the issue with circumcision. And we talked about this. Paul um, says this earlier. Josh walked us through this. You saw these Judaizers coming to these churches and saying, whoa, 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 Gentiles, not God's people. If you want to be in the club, if you want to be saved by Christ, you've got you to gotta do what we had to do. You've got to follow the dietary restrictions. You've got to be circumcised so you may be entered into our people. Now, the thing we need to understand is those weren't bad things necessarily. Those were God-given at the, at, at the time. The law was given to God's people. And in that law, it was to be circumcised, to follow dietary restrictions, and a bunch of other things. The Judaizers weren't telling them to necessarily do something bad, but they were doing it that ultimately led to undermining the gospel. David Platt, I like the way he describes it. He says you have behavior and you have belief. Now, right behavior doesn't have to necessarily be a bad thing. Right behavior with wrong belief, legalism. If you believe that reading your Bible 20,000 times a day is going to get you into heaven, it's not. 
It's not a bad thing to do. It should be in the Word. But it's not going to get you favor with God. You're a sinner. You can't earn it. And you saw this with the Judaizers. He's saying this is necessarily right behavior, but there's a wrong belief. And that wrong belief is not understanding that Christ's sacrifice is sufficient for it all. That's it. It's done. That's why Christ said it. It's finished. You're saved this morning. But then you also see the opposite end of the spectrum, wrong behavior with right belief. That's hypocrisy. That you know the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know what Christ has done for you, but yet you don't do it. Where faith without works is dead. I like to call that the fireproof insurance. Because you think just because you're saved by Christ, I'm good, get out of jail free card, I can keep moving on with my life. But again, you don't come to Christ and you don't leave unchanged. Saw that with Paul. But then you see right behavior with right belief, and that's faith. And Paul is combat, combating the right behavior with wrong belief. He's trying to correct them that these aren't necessarily bad things, but it's not going to save you. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a counterfeit. And you see him go to the apostles in Jerusalem because there's an issue that they need to address. And they do it with unity, and they do it fiercely. He says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I took Titus with me. Barnabas met Paul, a big partner in his mission trips. But you also have Titus, who's a Greek. He's a Gentile, full blood. And they brought him to show that he is saved just as we are. And you see it. Even the apostles met him, and they didn't compel him to be circumcised. And he says this as an argument. To his people. He says there was unity here. When I went and saw the apostles and Titus walked in, they didn't say, hey, it's a Gentile. You need to be circumcised if you're going to talk with us. And they said, brother, come on in. You're saved by Christ. And Paul's saying, you see it that the apostles that you so revere, the pillars of our faith, didn't make Titus get circumcised. Neither should you. You're saved by grace alone. And you see this meeting and this meeting is, is, is had with, with the apostles, specifically Peter, James, and John. James, the brother of Christ. And, and you see the Jerusalem council in Acts, specifically Acts 15. Now, you'll, you'll read this and you'll do study if you want in your own life, and you'll find that a lot of scholars are like, was it the Jerusalem council? Because that was a big deal, tackling legalism. Or was it not the Jerusalem council? What's going on? It really doesn't matter. Because it doesn't change the point here. But I, I would imagine that, in my opinion, it's not. The reason being is I think the Jerusalem Council happened after because Paul says he met privately with the apostles. But also he doesn't use it in his argument here. If the Jerusalem Council had already happened, Paul would assuredly be like, we had this big council publicly and we all agreed it's by grace alone. He doesn't say that here. But you'll find that as you study. But you see, he sees the leaders of the Christian church privately to outlook ministry while addressing the growing concern of legalism. And we found unity. And that unity was sole foundation that they affirmed in each other the same gospel. That surely you'd preach the same gospel that was taught to us by Jesus Christ himself. The apostles affirmed Paul. You see that toward the end here. Salvation through faith in Christ given by grace alone. You will find some empty arguments that there's multiple versions of the gospel surfaced out of this time. The apostles taught one thing, Paul taught the other thing. Paul had kind of his, his gospel, the apostles had their gospel. That's false and it's proven wrong here. Paul met with the apostles. He did this through revelation. He did this because he needed to go to Jerusalem to meet with them so they may establish we're on the same team here. This is a God-given grace. It's something we didn't concoct. We are completely unified in it without even really meeting each other because it's grace through Jesus Christ, not grace through man. 
And then you see it defended fiercely. I love the, the terminology that he uses. He says, and this occurred before even false brethren secretly brought in, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might not bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. We don't play around with this gospel because this gospel has too much at stake. He said, I did not yield for one hour to these Judaizers. I'm not going to just sit back and go, it'll figure itself out. No, it won't. I will stand for the gospel that is true, and I will fight for the brothers and sisters that I love that they will not be brought into false doctrine. We did not yield for even an hour. He says, that way it will continue with you. He wanted you to have this gospel. And he's saying not, not to just the Galatians, but to us. They were under a lot of persecution. They were under a lot of pressure, and they said, we will not falter on that pressure. We stand with Christ, and we will not pervert his gospel. And that is our call today as well. We're going to go out of here, and we're going to be unified as a body of believers, not with just this church, but with the church of Christ as a whole. But also, we're going to be going out, and we're going to have to fiercely defend our faith. Because it's going to be challenged. That's why we do apologetics night on Wednesdays. But we do it because there's too much at stake. And this gospel is too precious just to let it fall to the wayside. We did not yield in submission for an hour. And Judaizers were coming with this perverted gospel. They said, we won't stand for it. And then you see them, they have this kind of powwow, they get together, they're unified, they're, they're ready to defend, and then they mobilize, they're gone, let's go, let's share the gospel, let's proclaim it, but let's also disciple our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's quite wordy, but really what it comes down to, he says, Peter, I know you are going to go and take care of the Jews. Paul says, I'm gifted with my ability to go to the Gentiles and preach to them. They understood that they had specific roles, and those roles needed to be played out. Didn't make one better than the other, but they had a job to do, and that job was specific, and they had gifts, and they had abilities that were going to get that done, and they went and did it. And they affirm, he says, you, Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship. He says, we're with you. We support you. Peter, James, and John will be here serving the Jews. Paul, you go with Barnabas and Titus and serve the Gentiles and give them the gospel that they so rightly deserve just as much as we do. And the thing is, this defense that they had would end up costing many of them their lives. In this defense, many of them would end up giving their lives because they wouldn't falter in their defense. And that in and of itself shows you the level of fierceness they had. They were martyred for their faith. And it's defense that we're going to be having in our own lives. Now, this defense doesn't mean we go out with a sword and demand people to come to Christ. We know that doesn't work too well. What we are to do is go out in love, knowing that we have truth, and we have salvation, and we have freedom in Christ. And we're not going to let anybody take that away from us. Because man didn't give us this gospel. God did. We didn't earn this gospel. It was given to us through grace. So we're going to defend it, and we're going to share it. As we close, we see two arguments that surface out of this defense. Because as there, you, I love this because you see church happening. This is what it is. When you read it in its entirety, it's Paul and his brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're just trying to figure this thing out. We're doing ministry, and problems are arising, and we're addressing those problems biblically. Same as we do here in Risen Life. And when a problem arises in ministry, and it will, because we're imperfect people, we address it biblically, the way God has called us to. And in this, the Gentiles and the Jews are saying, well, what do we do? The law is holy, and it's ordained. And the, and the Gentiles are like, we're just learning this. Well, how do we do it? You know, there's this big law that everybody keeps talking about. Are we supposed to follow it? 
And then they're saying, but, or do we throw it out altogether? Do, is, was the whole Old Testament just kind of like a wash? And we just kind of reset the slate here? And the answer is the law is given by God and it has every right to tell you that you should love people. Love your neighbor, love God. Don't covet, don't steal. The thing is the law is a diagnosis to the problem. It's there to show you that you can't do it. The law is there to show you that you have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have. Christ is the cure. Without Christ, the law is an unending cycle of work that we'll never achieve. Because if, if we could, then we wouldn't need Christ. But Christ came to be the cure for the problem that was diagnosed by the law. Matthew 5.17, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but came to fulfill. Because of Christ, the law has been fulfilled. Because of Christ, we have a sacrifice that covers all sins. Because of Christ, we are made free. Not by your works. Not because you did a good thing but because God loves you enough that even in your sin, he calls you out and gave you life when you deserve death. Before we finish, <clears throat> I think it's appropriate to finish with Romans 8, which again is another passage from Paul. But it so perfectly describes who we are in Jesus in this newfound freedom in a believer. And starting in verse 1, it says, there is, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but they walk according to the Spirit. Legalism is walking by the flesh. Freedom in Christ is walking by the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did it by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but we walk again according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. And I love, if you skip down to 12, we are given an amazing promise, an amazing inheritance in Christ. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. The law is there to diagnose the problem, but it's Christ that cures us. And in Christ, we don't have bondage. In Christ, we don't have works. You don't have to do work after work after work. In Christ, you're made free. But Christ won't leave you where you're at. He started a good work in us, and he will see it to completion. He didn't leave Paul where he was at on the Damascus Road. He won't leave you where you're at this morning. You're going to have to work. It's not going to be easy. But ultimately, you know that your work's not in vain because ultimately, you're saved. You have righteousness bestowed upon you, not by your works, but by God. You have inheritance set up for you in heaven. You're a co-heir with Christ this morning. 
any guilt or shame that you have for your past sins need to be thrown away and put at the feet of Jesus. And as Paul says, we've been given a gospel. It's God-given. Grace alone. We need to share that gospel. Do it now for God's glory. But also we defend that gospel together and fiercely because it's not one to just be trifled with. Let's pray. I'm going to have the band come up as we pray here. Father, Lord, thank you for this time that we get to gather together in community. And Lord, ultimately we get to just worship your holy name and dive into your word. Lord, we're thankful for, our, for Paul and the life and the work that you did through him. We thank you for your word that we, we may see that we're not so different from our brothers and sisters in, in the first century. That we've been given a gospel that has not changed, a gospel that's grace and God-given. But also we've been given a gospel that needs to be shared just as much today as it was then. Lord, I pray that if anyone's here that doesn't know you, doesn't know the freedom in Christ, today is the day of salvation. Lord, I pray that they don't leave this place without knowing the saving, sovereign love of Jesus. And God, as a church this morning, any Christian here that is tirelessly working and striving to find favor in you, Lord, I pray that you allow he or she to rest in knowing that they've been bought by the blood of Jesus. And as we go out this week, as we go out into our, our, our areas of mission, wherever our feet are planted, Lord, I pray that we share this freeing gospel with love and you give us the boldness and the confidence to defend it. Because we have a gospel that saves and we have a, a God that has left an empty grave and in that we find our hope where we love you and we thank you for everything you've given us and I pray that we use it well and I pray that we don't waste time and we don't let small little just discussion or difficulty or arguments tear apart the unity of our church but that we always come together with grace and love and forgiveness and with a unified purpose that we're here to glorify the name of Jesus Christ and to love people we love you and we thank you